Kia ora, welcome to the Invisible Sensei podcast. This is a podcast about my experiences as a martial artist, as a student, as a teacher, as someone who from time to time has stubbed their toes on the problems of the world and kind of gone, what am I doing this for? Please take time to check out the link in the description. It will take you to our YouTube channel and also to our profiles on social media, which you're most welcome to check out and contact us on. We also have a wonderful merch shop where you can grab cups and a couple of other things if you're wanting to support the podcast. Or if you're wanting to support it more directly, we have a link that you can do that also. Either way, enjoy the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and keep training, keep smiling, keep enjoying, and most importantly, keep developing. Your journey in terms of martial arts has been quite incredible. Also that you started at a very young age, whereas some people sort of start, I guess, sort of in their, you know, at a later stage in life and then they progress through. You've, you've started, in, in our culture, we talk about the, the child, the young person and the adult right so you're you're progressing through those three through those three levels as if you had to think about it how would you how would you describe your journey through those three stages and the journey that you're going through uh now well first of all i think you're missing one journey which is senior citizen so to speak you know i'm now uh I can get on the uh, public transit at half price or go to movie theater and get a half price ticket. So it's, for me, it's, you know, I kind of look at myself from the outside, you know? So um, I started was just shy of my 10th birthday. I was nine years old. And then, uh, you know, and I'm a senior citizen. So, you know, I experienced every stage of martial arts in terms of uh, being participant, if you will, you know? And so I have a maybe sympathetic view for other people participating and, you know, when, when people speak about like on Shin, you know, the old and the new, but also the younger, you know, the popular thing is like, you know, uh, you know, everything in the past was better. You know, that's a very common idea for the traditional martial artists, you know, like, oh, you know, this current generation is this or that. But, you know, I, every generation has pluses and minuses, you know. So um, for, for me, from the early days, karate became my life. It's It's not like a saying it was default you know i think you, you know my story i came from poland couldn't speak english you know all this stuff i embraced and i was embraced by people who did martial arts and in some ways maybe that that, that was the catalyst for me to, to really embrace martial arts as a path of life but i really liked the sol- solitary thing where, where i was never really big into like uh, team sports you know where you, as a group you're playing everything was about personal challenge you know uh fail or su- succeed you know, there's nobody to blame, you know, that kind of stuff, always try to do better, uh, you know, being the underdog and things, you know, whatever it is, it just, it was, everything was about overcoming, you know, really overcoming things. And that has never changed. You know, whether you call it, uh, you know, Shoshin, uh, you know, the, the mind of beginner or the Kokoro, you know, the, the beginner entering the gate for the first time, that passion for me grows daily stronger every day, you know, so that really, you know, when you're talking about all these things, I've, I've been training now 56 years, which is a lot by some and a lot less by others. I, you know, I, I travel to Okinawa quite often, and people talk about 1930s, 1940s, and, you know, um, there was a gentleman from Australia I met, met who was a fantastic jiu-jitsu practitioner. Uh, his name was Yan De Yong, 
he was a jujitsu practitioner and I had a dinner with him one time and he says, do you remember how hard it was to teach martial arts during World War II? I said, since I was born well after, well, you know, that kind of stuff. So you're dealing with people who have these amazing memories, these traumatic experiences. So, so my life is not that broad or wide, but I do have some experiences. And, uh, you know, if I can kind of go off course a little bit. So when I was invited to do this podcast, you know, you, you kind of, uh, I think you maybe looked at who I am, that kind of stuff. But I, in return, I do the same to you. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's important that we know who we are. And I think you're a remarkable martial artist. You know, just, just you know, you're, you're amazing at the, you know, Goju Ryu, you know, your, your skills there. And, and what I share with you is the passion for other martial arts, whether it's Silat or Kali, other things, where it's just a passion to embrace everything, you know. So, so uh, you might be a bit younger than I am, but we have the same passion to embrace all around martial arts, everything has something to offer. And there's, there are no bad martial arts. There are no bad systems. There's some people who are better or not as good as, as uh, things, but you know, it's, it's, you know, when you talk about the past for me, I'm not really history based, you know, even though I wrote a couple of books, I helped Hokama Sensei with history book and a few other things. I live in very much in the moment, you know, for me, it's about now and, you know, what's happening tomorrow and, mentoring people, fostering people, and, you know, my past accomplishments and accolades, they're gone, you know, they're, they're in the past, you know. Uh, for me, it's all about the present and the future. And, and I think that's why I was attracted to doing your podcast. Well, you know, I, I feel like, um, I feel like, uh, thank you for, for that. As you said, it's a, a massive compliment that I'm struggling with, but I will just say thank you. Yeah. And and um, try not to blush too much because it's very obvious with my, <laughs> my hairstyle when I blush. Thank you. That's a, a massive compliment coming from you, um, and, and I really appreciate that. I think that when it comes to martial arts, that there's a kind of a commonality that kind of goes right across, you know, irrespective of style and so on. I think you bridge that really nicely. So, in terms of your development i really enjoyed the story in which you know you you, you kind of had um, chris wilson's wonderful um presentation you talked about that your first english words were ich ni son chi um i want to go back a bit if, I, if we may what is it about your culture coming from poland that you felt has aided you what what is the what have you learned from that culture and from from your culture from your family that's kind of carried you through what do you think that what is it that has influenced you to train for decades and decades and okay so if you look at the concept of yamato damashi you know the fighting spirit of japan or ryukyu damashi which is you know a lot of my okinawan friends don't like that term because it has a kind of military overtones and they're still you know, a lot of problems from World War II, and, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, luggage to be unpacked from that. But, you know, the whole thing about uh, the Mashi or, you know, spirit is, is it's born of struggle, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I read a book by uh, Don Drager, which kind of really changed my mind, which was uh, his first hardcover book before there was actually, they broke up into three different pieces. And he talked about Seishin Tan Red, and he talked about forging, spiritual forging. So the concept of making a Japanese sword, you take a piece of base metal, which is nothing special, you heat it up, you cut it in half, you fold it over and you pound it with a big hammer. 
and you cut it in half, you fold it over and you pound it with a big hammer. And you fold it up, and you, you know, so you're going from one layer to two layers, four layers, uh, you know, exponentially to, you know, several thousand layers, if you wish, or more, you know, and that's kind of what martial arts is. But I experienced that in my personal life long before I discovered martial arts. So uh, being born in post-war Poland, where you have to line up, you know, long lines, and you're not really sure if you're going to get uh, toilet paper or bread or shoes, you know, but you have to wait for a couple hours with your mom to get those things. Uh, you know, I discovered that everything is a, is a gift, you know, nothing is given, and you have to struggle and fight for everything, you know, and I think people in Canada and New Zealand, Australia, and even Japan or Okinawa, they, they, you know, I'm talking about the younger generation in Okinawa, you know, in Okinawa, when you speak to older teachers, you know, who are in their 70s or 80s, they all talk about being hungry after the war. You know, they don't talk about punching and kicking. You know, if you ask them about questions about like, who was Kanbo Noichi or this and that stuff, well, you know, it was a very hard time. We didn't have any food that time. You know, they still kind of default to that. And if you're younger, you might say like, this guy has no idea what I'm talking about. Like, I wanted to know the secret hook of middle block, how to pull somebody down or this particular kata, but they're, they're actually telling you what it is. It's, it's a struggle of fail, you know, fail, uh, succeed, fail again, you know, rather than, you know, what a kata could mean, you know, uh, you know, the bunkai things like that, you know, we can talk about bunkai, which is kind of wonderful domain of make-believe in some ways, you know, but it's, it's really the inner core. I, I know your background, you know, and, you know, Maori culture, things like that, but, you know, warriorship comes from every culture. If you look at, you know, Sparta or New Zealand, Maori culture, there's a lot of pain involved in that, you know, uh, if you look at African cultures when they have different like dots on their head, you know, things like that, you know, the, the process to airing those badges, I look at your arms and your tattoos and things like that. And, you know, I have some experience, you know, in some, you know, remote Malaysia and Indonesia countries where people do tattoos and the painful process it is to receive those things. But in North America, Australia, New Zealand, you can walk into your tattoo shop, pay 50 bucks and have the guy do a nice butterfly in your foot, whatever it is, or a star in your ankle. And Bob's your ankle, right? But you know, you know, for me, uh, you know, uh, like tattooing itself is, is a we can have a deep discussion. It is uh, I would never put anything on my body that doesn't have any significance or a purpose. You know, it doesn't really protect you or empower you. You know those things, and I don't understand why people who do karate don't understand that's the culture of karate. It, it's it's there's other things that are missing beyond you know beyond what's visible. No, excellent points, all sense eight. Well, you know, it's um, interesting you talk about tattooing because I know that sort of indigenous, I knew people of Japan and there's a, apparently an indigenous tattooing tradition in the, uh, in the Okinawa culture as well. And I know certainly for the Filipino, and it's really interesting for me to sort of see the commonalities um, right throughout um, all of these, you know, different cultures. At some yeah. point, we must have all um, been either one people or ex extremely close together because of the commonalities of design. Uh, just with that, I, I wanted to, if we may, Sensei, talk a little bit about some of the things that you observe. One of the things I appreciate about, I guess, your message to me, and this is how I interpret it, is that Okinawa is not just about karate, and it's not just about kobudo. And it's not just about, um, you know, the terrible deprivations of war that the Okinawan people went through. There's a long history, but there's also a culture. Um, so what is it about the Okinawan culture 
that keeps you returning, I guess, to the source. And, I, and from the way you talk about it, Sensei, it's not just about um, karate. There seems to be something that exists there that has produced these wonderful martial arts. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's obvious and very complicated at the same time, you know, in some ways, you know, um, you know, I've, uh, I watched first time Commerce of Okinawa, you know, there's a cycle, you come one time, and you're kind of confused and you like it second time you come back. And after the second or third time after buying your gi from Shiredo, you know, spending $500 at Shiredo and, you know, going to the popular restaurant where they have a show, you know, you come back and you, and you post on your, you know, Instagram or social media. That's it. I, I'm Okinawa now. I have Okinawa heart. I, you know, I embrace Okinawa karate. And the people that they're taught them, they kind of go, okay, good luck. You know, best of luck with that. You know, enjoy that. Uh, but I actually developed really strong relationship with some teachers in Okinawa. A lot of them are not the, the most uh, obvious players because they're not social media savvy. You know, they're, they're, uh, they pretty much teach Okinawians, you know, a lot of them teach out of what's called a komiinkan, which is a social hall rather than having a big fancy dojo. So, uh, you know, I kind of embrace their family. So, I, you know, uh, I'll give you one example. My, my dearest friend, uh, Kinju Masakazu, who is the, you know, grandmaster of a group called Riku Kabuto Hozonkai. Uh, you know, I met him, you know, uh, when he had a little dojo on the side of the road, was, which was torn down because the highway was reshifted. You know, so I, I've, I, you know, his two, he has two sons. He's got two sons, Satoshi and Kenta, and he's got uh, two daughters. And I, I met, uh, when I met his sons, uh, Satoshi was 15 and Kenta was six. And now they became multiple time world Kubuto champions. And, you know, they're, they're incredible people. But, you know, when I, when I say the Kinjo family, it's not about karate. It's not about Kubuto. It's about family. You know, when I go there, you know, uh, they'll bring the grandkids and, you know, we see, we play around, we, you know, we never, we never talked about how to punch or kick, how to swing a bow. Um, one of the people who trained in dojo is Tairi Masagi-sensei, which I know you're familiar with. And I've known Tairi Masagi-sensei since he was a white belt in Kuburo. You know, I, I helped him, you know, hold a bow and, you know, do strikes and things like that. But but every time we spend time with him, we don't really talk about karate. It's about, we have other things to talk about, you know, problems with children and, and problems with this, you know, like, uh, so I think a lot of people don't really you know, they, they see veneer of Okinawa, but not the real thing. When you see the real thing, you see a lot of conflict. You know, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of doubt. Uh, the more senior people are, you know, uh, you know, they're doubting. You know, there's a lot of things about face in Okinawa where, uh, you know, their neighbor has a bigger dojo. You know, they feel bad about themselves or a person who gets selected to do something, they feel bad about themselves. There's a lot of insecurity. You know, I, I, you know the strongest people in Okinawa, I, I see a lot of insecurity with them. And it's just because we're, we're human. I mean, that's the whole thing is, you know, like this, this illusion of, uh, you know, we're Westerners, we're weak and they're strong. They're actually much more worried about stuff. They never want to offend anybody, you know. Uh, they don't answer questions readily because they don't want to make a mistake. So, you know, to pull information from these people is also very difficult because they don't really, they don't want to make a mistake. For us, you know, like, okay, I made a mistake. Sorry, sorry, you know, it's, I'm, it's a three, actually I'm at four. But for them, they'll be ridiculed for that, so they can't really see that. So, but you know, uh, you know, Okinawa of uh, 1995 on, you know, so first pre-world championships, a lot of Okinawans went there. 
97 of the World Championships. And you know, then the, the other significant thing was the Dojo Bar. You know, the Dojo Bar opened. So for me, you can measure time in Dojo Bar and the Karate Kaifan. You know, it's interesting how you kind of go back in time. So you have a lot of people who are experts based on the World Championships in 95, 97. And you have a lot of people who are based on the Dojo Bar experience. You know, I was there and I had a beer. I met so-and-so famous guy sitting there. And the Karate Kaifan, you have the kind of corporate thing. And my dear friend Miguel Deleuze just uh, quit a job at the Kaifan, you know, from the uh, Okinawa Information Society. You know, it's, it's just diff different stages of Okinawa Karate. But... Uh, I would say that most people are not aware there's about 80% of Okinawan karate that doesn't participate in the public demonstrations, that doesn't participate in the karate day demonstrations and all the other things. They remain doing kind of the agrarian, old-fashioned, you know, village form karas, you know, bokaras and things like that. And they practice older karate methods, which are all about catch and throw and, and stick your fingers in somebody's eye. It's not very aesthetically pleasing, but it's very effective. So, you know, the, the whole question is, what is Okinawan karate? Okinawan karate is whatever, you know, the great promoters will make it so, you know. So you have the Kaikan group, you have various websites. You know, Jesse Ancamp has done more for Okinawan karate than anybody else because he really introduced it to the mainstream of the younger generation. So, you know, for me, two people that really promote in Okinawa are, one is Jesse Ancamp for the, under 30 sets, you know, if it wasn't for Jesse, they wouldn't be not interested in Okinawan okay, karate. Anybody who's over 30, it's, it's Pat McCarthy, you know, Pat McCarthy from Ubishi and things like that. But, but, you know, so those are the two most visible people. And you have other people like Andy Quest, who is now incredible researcher, uh, Joe Swift, and, you know, Mary McKenna. I can go on with, with people who do incredible, incredible work. And they're just amazing. But honestly, there's 80% of these amazing researchers, promoters, whatever you call them, haven't, haven't really seen because these people are not visible. They don't, they don't want to be found. You know, they, they're happy teaching their free students and maybe in street clothes, you know, that kind of stuff. And that still exists in Okinawa, but that's, I think, within 5, 10, 20 years, that definitely will be gone. And that's, that's a true essence of Okinawan karate. Karate is about <laughs> uh, defending yourself and the family with lethal force and to kill if necessary. Having said that, I tend to, I wonder what your what your thoughts on the statement, irrespective of where it comes from. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. So, mm. you know, we, we can talk about Budo and Bugade, first of all, you know, so uh, I, I think the problem is, you know, you're talking to some people who are based in, uh, you know, there are many levels of karate, you know, first of all, there's recreational karate, people who just train, because they enjoy the activity, you know, you can have a picture of yourself in a gi and you can have a certificate and all that stuff. They really don't want to have the messy bit of combat with testing themselves. You know, it's, it's, it's great. You know, then you have the competition karate, you know, uh, but, you know, then you have combat karate. And that's, that's questionable because people who teach combative type techniques, you know, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you walk away from karate and look at like something like the awesome thing of Krav Maga, you know, or uh, Israeli fighting techniques or the Russian fighting technique of spetnaz. You know, a lot of people dress up in costumes and things like that, but we never really tested it in any way, you know. So it's it's really a question of, uh, you know, it's like describing broccoli if you've never tasted it, you know, like, you know, I think it tastes just like asparagus. Well, I've never tasted asparagus, you know, if there's debate, but if you taste tasted something, if you participate, you know, if you were in a war, things like that, you don't really have to speak about something because it's really integrated into your spirit and your DNA. 
that you really don't have to talk about it, you know. And and I think a lot of Okinawan teachers, you know, they can break your arm or break the makiwara if it's a staged event. But in terms of free flowing combat, I, I'm not sure they would really deal that well because, in some ways, being incredible in specific Ryuha style is is also a uh, I don't know, stop or you know uh, whatever you call it. You know, if you take your cast off, your 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 leg doesn't really work. You know. Uh, Atrophy, the word I'm looking for is atrophy, you know. So, you know, it's it, the whole thing is about uh, just doing your best. I mean, you know, it's, you know, the concept of mushin is just having no thoughts. So, you know, the idea that you're going to prevail, these things don't really exist. But I, I would say to you that what I tell my students is, and I'm not sure if Paul will agree with that, but the purpose of, of true bujitsu, I'm not talking budo, bujitsu or buge, whatever you want to call it, is to acquire the ability to kill somebody, and through Budo is acquired the ability not to, right? So Buge teaches you how to break somebody's fingers or arms or, you know, whatever, and Budo says, that's okay, I don't have to do that, you know? Like, you're right, I am an asshole, I'll walk away, you know, whatever, right? Bowing to somebody, it changes, you have to be able to back up what you're saying, you know? And, and again, a lot of people have incredible power, they can punch them like you are, they can break the bag in half with their round kick, all this stuff, but if you say boo, they will, you know, they will bend down, you know, you know, and, and, you know, like when people do special training, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, special op services, whether it's SEAL training, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, you know, they can hold a canoe over the head for five hours. But some people see blood and they pass out, right? So, you know, so the thing is, you know, the whole thing, uh, you know, in your culture, you know, my question is always, what is warriorship? And not, not what is karate, not what is, what is budo, what is, what is warriorship? And can you actually teach somebody to be a fighter? 